Moncrief on News Talk. Brought to you by Avant Money. Think you're getting the best value from your bank? Think again. As you may recall, the TV presenter Richard Hammond was involved in a massive car crash in 2006. As a result of that, he ended up in a coma, one so severe that doctors told his wife that he'd never come out of it. Yet in Richard Hammond's mind, he was walking in the Lake District where he approached a tree. Hammond has released a video about this experience and this is what he says happened next. Mindy told me her side of the story because at the same time I was having that dream. She'd been called into intensive care and told Mrs Hammond, I'm really sorry, things aren't looking good. All his vitals, they were monitoring everything I was on, full life support and breathing apparatus and the lot. And she was told... It's not looking good, we think we're going to lose him. And she said, is there anything I can do? And they said, well, no, not really. And she said, can I shout at him? And they said, yeah, whatever. And she asked, no, I mean really, really shout at him. And she did. And apparently she roared and screamed and swore at me, don't you dare die. And that's when I turned back from this tree in my dream. And that's when I woke. It's true. I mean, I didn't really come up to this hill and walk around this tree. I was in a coma in Leeds. But my mind did, and my mind is who I am. I know that very well, having damaged it with a frontal lobe brain injury and spent a long time recovering. So what was going on there? Shane O'Mara is Professor of Experimental Brain Research at Trinity College. Afternoon, Shane. Good afternoon, Sean. Great to be here. Now, the story Richard Hammond tells, have you ever heard anything similar to that before? Uh, yes, there are many cases of, of patients who uh, experience these kinds of uh, phenomena when uh, they're apparently uh, in uh, a coma of some sort. And I, I think, you know, one of the, the kind of the issues that we have is that we think a coma is a kind of an on-off state and there's nothing in between. But actually, uh, patients show... Uh, a kind of a whole variety of different symptoms. Um, they can sometimes they can show activity like they're dreaming. Uh, they make noises. You know, all sorts of things can happen. And uh, the fact that uh, Richard Hammond showed uh, activity like this is really interesting. Mm. So, are there different sorts of coma, or are we talking about a coma as individual to each person in one? I, I think the best way to think about it is that a coma is individual to the person uh, that's in one. And this is because a coma can arise for all sorts of reasons. Uh, one is, is a very obvious one. You can have a traumatic head injury, so you get a focal injury to a particular part of the brain. You might go into a coma because you've been drinking too much uh, or because you're suffering from hypothermia or you've got an infection of some description. There are, uh, so the course for the individual will vary quite dramatically depending on the uh, the kind of coma. And of course, you can have a medically induced coma where, uh, you know, you might have had a bleed on the brain and the the, uh, treatment will be to put you into a a coma uh, under an anesthetic for a period of maybe several days to reduce the uh, pressure within the skull, maybe take your blood pressure down, give your uh, brain a chance or the swelling in your brain a chance to uh, to decrease. So does that mean that that when someone's in a coma, that maybe coma is a kind of a catch-all term because different from varying from individual to individual, various parts of the brain might be working or not? Yeah, very much so. Uh, it is a catch-all term. And uh, we, we have this kind of idea that it's, it's, it's an on-off state, but actually it's not. And um, 
Uh, there, there's a, a well-known scale. I think uh, Richard Hammond actually hints at it in the uh, in 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 the article, uh, which is the Glasgow Coma Scale, uh, which is a rating system that's used to look at the depth of the coma, and that's a phrase I haven't used uh, yet. Uh, and this is where you test for things like whether or not you can open your eyes to a command. Can, uh, can you feel a pain and do you blink as a result of, of uh, a pain? Can you respond to something that's said to you? Do you turn your head uh, or is there no response at all? And can you make a motor movement? You know, if you're asked to move your hand, can you move your hand? If uh, you feel something painful, like a pinch in the nerve bed, do you retract your thumb or finger or whatever it happens to be? So there's lots of components to it. And uh, this uh, scale is actually a pretty good predictor of how good people will recover over the long term. And as I uh, recall, Richard Hammond was uh, at three or something, which ain't Yeah, good. he was very, very seriously injured. And uh, he says that he had a frontally oriented injury um, and that he suffered from depression for a, a considerable period of time afterwards. And depression is is something that is common after a head injury. It's 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 something that's not maybe as as recognised as as uh, uh, it it should be. Mm. Um, and somebody with a who's scoring a three, which is really pretty as low, much as low as you can go on the on the Glasgow Coma Scale. The the kind of the longitudinal studies, so the long term studies, show that good recovery in those patients uh, is infrequent. It's only about one in twenty. Uh, so Hammond is or Richard Hammond is obviously both very lucky and obviously had very good medical care that got him uh, to that point. Well, as he tells the story, though, all hope was effectively lost, and then his wife started screaming in his ear. It, to you, does that make medical sense? Is it perhaps possible, even if a person is in a really deep coma as he was, to put, you know, to somehow get through to them by merely dint of shouting at them? Yeah, I, I, you know, so it, it's really hard to know. You know, you you wouldn't, I, I think no medic would, would prescribe a, a program of shouting at a coma patient as necessarily a path to recovery. And it, it could just be coincidence. But equally, you know, uh, it, you could have, uh, you've got a, if you've got a, a lot of noise of some description, particularly from a loved one, maybe there's activity driven from uh, the, the ear in some way that, tickle some part of the brain into life. It's one of these things that it'd be really hard to ever draw a, a final conclusion on. Yeah, though, I mean, you do now, and I'm I'm drawing this observation from watching American soaps and that kind of thing, that, that you know, if someone's in a coma, often the doctor recommends, well, hold their hand and talk to them. Can that have an effect? I, I think, you know, there's, there's probably two sides to that. One is that uh, people who are in an apparent coma sometimes can process information. You know, they, they, there's a, a paper which was published by a, a, a guy at Cambridge uh, about 14 or 15 years ago, Adrian Owen, uh, which showed that actually when people are in a coma, that maybe between one in five and one in 10 uh, patients, even though they can't respond overtly. So if I say to you, move your arm you, you, and you're in a coma, you can't do that. But it's something going on inside the brain. And what Owen has shown really quite uh, amazingly is that if you image the brains of these people in this, uh, quote, coma state, and you say things to them that you can get active activity in different parts of the brain, mm. and you can push that further. Uh, so if I ask you to close your eyes and imagine you're playing a game of tennis, you're swinging your your 
arm to intercept and hit the, the tennis ball. The activity for that is in the uh, the kind of what's called the motor cortex, so up at the top of, of, of the skull. Whereas if I ask you to uh, imagine walking in the front door of your house and walking around, so you're kind of engaging in a kind of a mapping of, of where you are in the world, activity there is in a different brain region. So what Owen did was ask people to answer yes by imagining they were playing tennis and answer no by imagining they were walking in their front door. And he showed that in, a, in about one in 10 patients, that uh, actually there's some degree of speech comprehension. Uh, they understand what's being said to them and they actually can give a response. Yes, I'm uh, or no, by imagining uh, that they're engaging in one activity or another. Mm. So it's really quite stunning result. Uh, so you might be asked a question like, is your father's name uh, Tom or whatever it happens to be? And uh, you might say, imagine yes, so you you play tennis and there's the answer to that. And you can do this reliably and repeatedly. So it, it is the case that there is, in not all uh, by any means, but in some patients, perhaps, as I said, about one in 20 to one in 10 uh, that uh, have some degree of vestigial awareness while they're in a coma. Might that imply, uh, in the same way that somebody can be put in a medically induced coma to help them heal, that a coma sometimes is, is the body's own way of shutting things down for a while? I, I, I think, yeah, so there's maybe a couple of different ways of looking at that. I, I think one is that, you know, if you've suffered a head injury and you've got compression of, of brain regions that are involved in, in maintaining consciousness, that you're going to just get a shutdown because the switch has been has been pressed off in a way, if I might use that analogy. So it, it really, I think, kind of depends. Uh, if you've gone into a coma because, uh, for example, you've, you've drunk too much, again, the, the parts of the brain that are concerned with breathing or heart rate or things like this, uh, in addition to the, the kind of frontal lobe areas, their activity is depressed. And uh, uh, if you can metabolize the alcohol safely, uh, well, then you'll come back out of it. So I, I think the context is all here. Right. Is that common, people going into a coma because of alcohol? Uh, <laughs> I think uh, uh, alcohol is, is uh, as the toxicologists say, a relative poison. Um, and I, alcohol depresses activity in the central nervous system. There's no two ways about that. And the kind of euphoric and disinhibitory effects of alcohol happen uh, because it is, uh, tends to decrease activity in, in, uh, in particular the, the frontal areas of the brain that are concerned with things like emotional regulation. But drink enough and and uh, it, it can kill you. Uh, and we know this, you know, there, there are numerous high profile cases of, of uh, people who, who've uh, drunk too much and they've suffered irreversible damage as a result of it, yeah. usually because they've inhaled their own vomit uh, and they can't waken up to clear their, their airways. I think right. it, we're both old enough and yeah. afraid to remember John Bonham. Yes, indeed. Uh, yeah, and even Jimi Hendrix before that. Uh, Jimi Hendrix. Yeah. Yes. Professor Shane O'Mara is a Professor of Experimental Brain Research at Trinity College Dublin. Shane, thanks a million. Thanks very much, Sean. Moncrief. Brought to you by Avant Money. Think you're getting the best value from your bank? Think again. Weekdays at 2pm. On News Talk.